Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive deep into the tools, laws, and yes, processes that you need to know in order to scale and grow your organization. On this podcast, we help you structure your business processes to make your people your organization's greatest competitive advantage. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much any podcatcher of your choice. You can also subscribe at peopleprocesses.com, which will give you exclusive subscriber-only content. Here is your host, Rami Alajil, author and CEO of People Processes. I get quite a few emails seeking advice, but the ones that, is the hard, that are the hardest to deal with is when an employer sends their handbook with a, can you look this over and tell me if anything is wrong? This episode, I want to use one small subsection of a handbook to illustrate the complexity of handbooks. It's not enough to write a good handbook. You have to put in place a process, a people process, to keep it updated. The clause in question is about post-incident drug testing. Before we go too deep though, I want to give you a reminder to like, subscribe, comment, wherever you're at, whether you're on Facebook, LinkedIn, whether you're listening on iTunes or on YouTube, please drop a like, drop a comment. It makes a huge difference to us. And if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. We're trying to get that channel off the ground and we're really excited to see our subscriber count grow. Thank you so much. Now, let's dive in. This employer that asked me this is a smaller distribution company and they're trying to get a new handbook together. They are also instituting drug testing and a more stringent background check setup with this rollout. Now, the entire handbook would take a lot longer than we have, so we're gonna take a look at the drug testing section, just a piece of it. In there, there are many subsections. We're gonna go deeper than just drug testing and talk only about post-accident drug testing. Here's the company policy. I'm gonna just read it to you. <clears throat> Here we are. Deep in the handbook, drug testing section, there's a little paragraph called post-accident testing. Employees who are directly involved in or whose actions contributed to an accident on the job may be required to submit to a drug and or alcohol test if there is reasonable suspicion that there is a connection between the incident and the use of drugs or alcohol. Testing will take place as soon as possible after the incident occurs. Accidents include all Occupational Health and Safety Administration recordable incidents, actions, or omissions that result in near-miss accidents, and accidents involving injury requiring, requiring first aid or off-site medical attention. Accidents also include property damage caused by human error. Okay, there's your policy. Got it. Now let's dive into this a little bit. Prior to 2016, OSHA allowed for post-accident drug testing in pretty much every event, but as the Obama administration was winding down in May 2016, OSHA issued a ruling that amended the Occupational Safety and Health Act, the OSH Act, OSHA, yeah, that's the administration part. Anyway, uh, the, the OSHA, OSH Act, to prohibit employers from retaliating against employees for reporting a workplace illness or injury. In the preamble to that final rule, OSHA cautioned that a blanket rule that mandates drug and alcohol testing after every accident, injury, or illness could be seen as retaliatory. This caused uh, quite a storm. This was a problem. Lots of organizations then scaled back or got rid of post-accident testing. But why? If you were just previous before going to test everybody, why not use a policy like this one that says under the case of 
you know, reasonable, blah, 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 if we think, maybe, blah, 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 is because a blanket of all injuries get a drug test was now discriminatory in 2016, came out in October because of this act. That's what they were doing before. Now they're saying that's discriminatory. But if you get rid of that, choosing when to drug test after an accident, only doing it sometimes, is really hard and will likely result in a discrimination suit, especially because according to that 2016 um, uh, amendment, you can't, punt, you can't do anything that's, that, that because someone reported an injury or was injured, you shouldn't do anything to them that you wouldn't have done to anybody else, right? That would be retaliatory. So you'd have to not only not do it to everybody, but then you do it to some people and not others. You've got a real problem. So when you're doing that, it basically from 2016 in October, <laughs> forward, it, it was not a good time to do post-accident drug testing. The policy above that we talked about at the beginning would have met the letter of the law after 2016, but then determining when to apply it would have been a serious issue. That's not something that would have just been covered in the text of the law or the handbook. It winds up being a problem in its execution, and that's why you need expert advice when designing things like this. Now, Jump ahead to 2018. Different administration, different rules. In October 2018, OSHA issued a memo cleaning up the position on post-accident testing. It said, quote, most employers who conduct post-accident testing do so to promote workplace safety and health. This gives the presumption that the action is non-discriminatory and instead makes the discriminatory action the exception. And that allows people to start doing post-accident testing again. And two, in the notice they said, while blanket post-accident policies are still not permitted, the department stated that a post-accident test would only violate the OSHA Act if the employer took the action to penalize an employee for reporting a work-related injury or illness, rather than for the legitimate purpose of promoting workplace safety and health. So, finally, OSHA just really spelled out that most instances of workplace drug testings are permissible, including random drug testing, drug testing unrelated to the reporting of a workplace illness or injury, drug testing under a state workers' compensation law, and drug testing under another federal law, such as the U.S. Department of Transportation, and this is the key one, drug testing to evaluate the root cause of a workplace incident that harmed or could have harmed an employee. So, the department still warned that if the employer chooses to use drug testing to investigate an incident, the employer should test all employees whose conduct could have contributed to the incident, not just the employee who reported the injury. So, that is the, uh, the new rule started in 2018. So with this new memo in place, let's go back to the company's policies. Quote, employees who are directly involved in or whose actions contributed to an accident on the job may be required to submit to a drug and alcohol test if there is reasonable suspicion that there is a connection between the incident and the use of drugs or alcohol, dot, 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 dot. Accidents also include property damage caused by human error. So far, so good. This policy would have been fine before 2016, though probably a little bit more limited than what most people used. Not good from 2016 to 2018, and after October 2018, hits the correct boxes. Cool. Covers the actions contributed to, and even adds a reasonable suspicion clause. Good, 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 good. All set, right? No. Now that this company complies with the federal, you then have to go to the state level. Turns out that Tennessee, the state where this policy would apply, has two additional key changes. First, Tennessee better defines reasonable suspicion. See, in their policy, they said if there's a reasonable suspicion of this thing, what would that mean? Uh, among other things, such facts and inferences of reasonable suspicion may be based upon, but not limited to the following, straight from the law. 
observable phenomena while at work, such as direct observation of substance abuse or the physical symptoms or manifestations of being impaired to the, due to substance abuse, abnormal conduct or erratic behavior while at work, uh, or significant deterioration in work performance, that's B. Another, a report of substance abuse provided by a reliable and credible source. Evidence that an individual has tampered with any substance abuse test during his or her employment with his company. Information that an employee has caused or contributed to an accident while at work. Good. Evidence that an employee has used, possessed, sold, solicited, or transferred drugs while working on or while on the employer's premises or while operating the employer's vehicle, machinery, or equipment. Or finally, involvement in an accident which results in injury to another per individual or property damage exceeding $5,000. Or such minimum amount is set by the US DOT guidelines if less, if less. Now, that's important. The policy in, the, in, in, in their piece does not match it perfectly. The, they, the state policy also, and this is key, specifically states that property damage minimum of $5,000 or more, unless you happen to fall under like Department of Transportation guidelines, which this company does not. So let's, let's take this all together. The post-accident drug testing policy in this case needs to have work done so that, that changes the reasonable suspicion definition to match the above. It's got to match that. It's on the Tennessee sample version of a uh, post-accident testing policy. So don't just use a generic one that you pulled offline. You've got to find the right one. And you need to limit investigations in the case of property only to incidents involving $5,000 or more in damage. And that will get the policy straight. Okay, so uh, let me recap that. You need to change any property damage to 5,000 and you need to change um, your reasonable suspicion guidelines to match what I read off there. I'll put it on the website as well. Now, this is one small section of drug testing, which also includes consent forms, processes, recruiting, and more. And that is just one section of many of a handbook. I wanna caution all of you that grabbing a sample handbook online is not going to go well for you. The difference in an early 2018 handbook and a 2019 January handbook is significant. The size of your organization, the industry it's in, and of course the state all make a huge difference. Beyond that, even if you hire an attorney and write up a handbook right then, once you get it right, you cannot just assume it is good. Policies change all the time, and that is why you need a system for compliance. If your organization is interested, please contact People Processes to discuss our HR services. We can help you get compliant and put in place a People Process to take care of this going forward. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at People Processes. Go to peopleprocesses.com, subscribe, and get some of our subscriber-only content. And if you got something out of this, make sure you share it with anyone you know. Thank you for tuning in. Now it's time for you to go out there, have a great day, and get your work done.